and welcome to the new series of Parkinson's Life, the award-winning podcast offering a voice to the global Parkinson's community. Each episode, we bring together people impacted by the condition for an honest conversation to share their stories, perspectives and ideas on how to live well with Parkinson's. In this episode, we're looking at the relationship between Parkinson's and sleep as part of a campaign from the European Parkinson's Disease Association. Up to 90% of people with Parkinson's suffer from sleep problems. These can include insomnia, hallucinations and vivid dreams, and movement-related problems, and can have a big impact on partners and other family members. Our guests are Cormac and Mary Megan, a couple based in Limerick, Ireland, who've been married for nearly 25 years. Cormac was diagnosed with Parkinson's two years ago, but has experienced active dreaming and sleeplessness for around six years. They are joined by Brian McGuinness, a Parkinson's advanced nurse practitioner in Dublin. Brian is one of only four specialist Parkinson's nurses in the whole of Ireland and has a close personal connection to the condition, as his father was diagnosed with Parkinson's at the age of 28. In this episode, Cormac and Mary discuss how these symptoms affect their everyday lives and Brian will share his advice on getting a good night's sleep. Hi, my name is Brian McGuinness. I'm an advanced nurse practitioner in the Matter Hospital in Dublin, and I have a expertise in Parkinson's disease and movement disorders. I've been in the area of neurology really since 2000 and started as a Parkinson's nurse specialist in 2003 in the neurology department in the Matter. And then recently I've moved to an advanced nurse practitioner post in 2017 with medicine for the older person in the matter as well. Hi, Brian. Uh, nice to meet you. I'm Cormac Megan. I'm 58 years old. I live down in Limerick, uh, Ireland. I work as a consultant in emergency medicine. Um, I'm a person living with Parkinson's, and uh, I was diagnosed about two years ago formally, but really had um, had known I think myself for a period, maybe six months, maybe a year beforehand. Um, but in retrospect, I've been living with uh, issues, Parkinsonian issues for probably a good eight, nine, ten years before that. My name's Mary. I'm married to Cormac. Uh, yeah, we're married 25 years this year. We've been married. We're living in Limerick. We've got two two boys and I'm a teacher. What symptoms did you have? How did it sort of come about or manifest? It was really only when I started to get the motor features and movement issues that I uh, started to question that I had Parkinson's. Um, I started to have sort of uh, a lot of slowing down, just stiffness. Interesting things like uh, I was able to wash myself with one hand, but not the other hand. So half my body was clean. Uh, it was those sort of things just all together, just I, I started to realise there was something wrong. Now, initially, I thought it was on, it was a side effect of one of the medications I was on, uh, because going back now, looking back on what had happened to me, I had had severe anxiety and uh, probably a, a depression for about three years at that stage. And I was okay. on medication for that. And I blamed, initially blamed my uh, movement problems on the medication. I suppose to pick up what Cormac was saying there, 
you know, during that period, we both knew that something wasn't right. And <laughs> in retrospect, it was a bit funny because at one point I thought his feet had shrunk and his slippers were too big for him. Okay. And I actually went out and bought him new slippers because he was shuffling everywhere. So had you noticed the symptoms a good bit, maybe a few years before creeping in? Not at the time, but again, when you look back and I remember I've a good friend and we used to go running. I said, I don't know what's up with Cormac. He's stuck in the chair. I don't know what's up. There's something. Okay. Cormac's not great. I don't know what's up with Cormac. And it was as if he was either stuck in the chair uh, in the evenings or shuffling. Uh, and we thought it was anxiety for a long time. When Cormac was diagnosed, I thought that Parkinson's was all about uh, motor symptoms and a tremor and a shake. And I never realized that there were these non-motor symptoms. And what we found is that Cormac's movement isn't too bad, but uh, he had the issues with anxiety, but he's also had enormous issues with sleep. And um, those have been there going back how long, do you think, going back? Well, I think 2011, 2012. The first, the first time I can remember was that famous incident that we talked to people about <laughs> when, when we were away in La Hinch. I was uh, having a dream of uh, being chased on a, we were on one of the sleeper trains <laughs> and I was lying on one of the, the beds, turning away, facing into the wall. And there were basically skeletons dressed in black uniforms with peak caps marching down the middle of the train. And they were trying to, I was trying to hide from them. And then one of them stopped and turned and looked in at me. And I turned around and I hit him as hard as I possibly could in the face. And I woke up to you screaming beside me. <laughs> well, I was, because I could hear him turning. I was like, Cormac, are you awake? So I leaned in him to him. I said, are you awake? And the next thing he punched me square in the port. I was like, oh, you hit me. <laughs> so it became a bit of a joke nearly, didn't it? It About did. The like, bed and I, stuff. I, I thought this oh, was hilarious. Cripes. Well, well, Mary didn't think it was hilarious, obviously. <laughs> I was tempted to go time. to bed with one of those big hel those GA helmets with this. Yeah, and those sort of very active dreaming and like another night in bed I ended up turned completely round, uh, head down towards the bottom of the bed, kicking the, the bedside lamp off the table. And uh yeah, that's Sort of came and went. It to, did, yeah. To well, it kind of came. It came and I think stayed. I think we we got kind of used to it because I know, like, we never in a million years thought, oh, this is a symptom of Parkinson's. And it got so that I learnt where to sleep in the bed, where to position myself in the bed, and I could sense when he was about to kick off. I go, Cormac, it's a dream. I could sense, and I knew, and I knew from his movements, and I knew if it was going to be a leg movement that would come all the way over to kick me, or if it was just going to be a small leg movement. But the comfort, the funniest were the conversations. Oh, my God. And he, you would wake up and Cormac would be absolutely mid-flow, a huge chat, a huge chat with somebody. It was usually in a work context and it was usually, it was always, you would never really know what they were talking about. But knowing him, I know that they were arguing about trolleys. And he was saying things like, are you telling me that you are happy to leave this meet? And he'd go on and on. And then another time, um, he said, and what do you do? You come to this meeting all the time. What do you do? You push around numbers, do you? Yes, but what are you doing? What action are you taking? Yeah, you, turn around, look at me. Yeah, you you clown, you with the orange hair and the big feet. What are you doing? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> it 
Oh, you'd be giggling. So yes, we've uh, we've experienced that, but also we had, you know, with my anxiety and that, I had a period of, you know, three to six months where I had huge difficulty in sleeping, um, and actually getting off to sleep. Uh, we tried all sorts of different things. Mm. So it's. I don't know if there's stuff you would recommend. You've named two of the big sleep. Uh, disturbance issues in Parkinson's one is the insomnia and this, the first one that you named was the REM which is the rapid eye movement sleep behavior disorder and they're pretty common sleep disturbance in Parkinson's happens there's an instance of anything from 60 to 99 percent of people with Parkinson's and sometimes REM sleep behavior disorder is actually predating um, the motor symptoms as you said in in Parkinson's prior to that diagnosis and there always seems to be a d- dreams of being in a fight or being chased. Um, it can start people having a chat in their dreams to the full extent of hopping out of the bed and hitting their head off the radiator at the other side of the room. And um, there can be quite violent dreams. But it, it's been able to get to the bottom of it. And, and as you said, you didn't know this was related to Parkinson's. And that's where the whole expertise comes in to be able to identify these things. So when we assess people in the clinic, these are the questions we ask. We have a whole list of the non-motor symptoms that we go through and same with the motor symptoms. And the non-motor symptoms are the ones that really affect the quality of life more so than people report the the motor symptoms. That's been my biggest surprise because I thought, oh, this is all going to be about you know, Cormac's movement issues and maybe falls. and But actually what it's turned into is a huge piece about sleep. I'm really surprised at where we've ended up with the challenges we're having around sleep. We've only actually come to realise when, you know, we started thinking about it, the real impact that it's had is really on Mary and how she is. And we found that Mary just was really tired and just struggling at work, concentration and all. We kind of got the diagnosis, Cormac changed medication and things were great. As in, you know, and we were relieved and grateful that, you know, things are as good as they are. And the sleep thing was never to the front of our mind. And I had started a new job and I was, oh, I'm this and I'm that and I'm tired um, and you'd say to somebody, oh, I woke up a couple of times last night and people say, oh, yeah, I'm waking up a bit and it must be the early mornings. And come would say, did you sleep? Okay, I'd be like, I don't know. I woke up a couple of times. I don't know. And I it kind of, it was, I can only describe it as invisible. And it wasn't until I kept a sleep diary about three or four weeks ago, I started to keep a sleep diary. And it was more than just being a bit down over the Parkinson's. This was like, I was just flat and uh I said to Cormac, you know, I said, I think I'm waking up two or three times every single night. And, and you kind of go, well, that's not too much. And I was like, yeah, but I don't think I'm ever, ever, I don't think I've been properly sleeping for years. In that, what I had been experiencing in the last year was I had stopped being tired. So when I would wake up, I'd be wide awake. And in fact, some days I'd be like, oh my God, I wasn't even tired this morning. I was ready to get up at half six. And in the evening, I wouldn't sit down until about half 10 or 11, and then I'd go straight to sleep. But once I started keeping the diary and following it, I found I was waking up. And now, like, I went to bed last night and I woke up half an hour later. And do you think your sleep is disturbed mainly because of Cormac's movement in the bed or his 
his sleep pattern. Yeah, and that's the big mm. surprise, I suppose, that I would say is I thought all these Parkinson's issues were Cormac's issue and sleep was Cormac's issue, but actually it's a shared issue for us. Yeah, you can build a wall like Donald Trump we've did. Done, we've in, been in through. We're hoping you might have some advice for us, Brian. <laughs> we, we, we've put half a house between us. Have you? A wall of duvet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, I think I, we have gone to other rooms on occasions just so that Mary gets a bit of sleep. But <laughs> the other night I was in the other room and I still woke <laughs> Mary still up. I heard you last night. <laughs> oh my God. I think one of the most interesting thing, ways that Mary described the way she was was that exhaustion you have with young children. Oh, the sleep deprivation. Absolutely, yeah. It's just that you're, it's almost like you're on... Permanent night duty. Yes, yes, exactly. And yes. awaiting to be woken up. Yeah. And yes. just that sense of deep tiredness. And yes. I, I think Mary never fully rested. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably yeah. for some time. And and one of the important things about Parkinson's and sleep is sleep actually really gives a good benefit to Parkinson's. When people have a good night's sleep, they're actually much better from a motor point of view the next day. They can function much better and they wake up on. Uh, have you found that? I, I would agree 100 percent. Yeah. The day after a good night's sleep, I am buzzing. Yeah. Uh, and I can feel the difference yeah. just hugely. It makes such a difference. But do you do people say to you, Brian, because one of the things I've noticed with Cormac is that he comes in and has his tea and then he sits on the sofa and he naps on and off. So I look around just temporarily, 90 seconds, and I live his eyes closed. And then we have, and I understand more about it now, but going back to the space when I was getting cross all the time, I'd be like, are you asleep? We'd be watching TV. I said, you were asleep. No, I wasn't. And then he'd wake up, he'd start talking stuff out of context. i go, are you asleep? No, I'm not. I said, I think you are asleep. We actually ended up having... <laughs> debates about whether he was asleep or not and I was like okay I'm going to bed I've had enough <laughs> and he probably was asleep he probably he was just napping he's yeah. asleep half the time and so and he wakes up sleeping it's so napping is actually good but you should be napping no no take that smile off your face <laughs> <laughs> you should be napping really in the early afternoon that the siesta, like what the Spanish do, is really good. The brain gets refreshed and the batteries get recharged. And it's really good for people who have sleep trouble. They have that little nap, whether it's 20, 40 minutes max in the early afternoon. And then it keeps them going again, that they're not sitting down, falling asleep. Their eyes are closing, watching TV. Their eyes are closing have, with a book in front of them or a passenger in the car, any of these things. It cuts down on that. And then being able to stimulate the the body and the mind, exercise, keeping yourself occupied and busy is another way of cutting down having these little naps and, you know, falling asleep in, uh, very frequently during the day. It's been able to have that routine. So routine, routine, routine. So when Cormac starts napping, like most evenings, uh, do you yeah. think he should be going to bed earlier or? Go for a walk or do something to wake up the brain again and then go to bed at the same time every night whether that's 10 or half 10, whatever the, the routine that suits you best. You're listening to the Parkinson's Life podcast with Brian McGuinness and Cormac and Mary Megan. Be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform to hear more from the series. So 
The, my dad has Parkinson's. Oh, right. And he was diagnosed when he was very young. He was 28. And uh, my mom would often say that she noticed things, about, like you said, dragging his leg or just walking funny from the age of 22. And Parkinson's can creep in like that over a few years. And then suddenly, as you said, the motor symptoms come out. And, um, yeah, it's a strange one like that sometimes, especially in the younger person. Well, the other thing we had was um, I used to always say, Come on, you look so cross. You look as if, you know, like people think you don't enjoy their company. Like, why don't yeah. you smile more? And my son said, No, no, mum, relax. That's his thinking face. That's So we had a bit of a joke in our house. And I said, Oh, that's his thinking face. Your father's got his thinking face on. And that's the thing. Parkinson's is a very physical condition. You, you see it. If somebody walks in the room, you'd probably have a good guess that they've Parkinson's from their facial expression or their posture or their walk, where somebody walks in with diabetes, you just wouldn't know it's a hidden type of condition, whereas Parkinson's is very outward. And that can be difficult when people are diagnosed to get their head around that. Have you coped well with it so far? Have you got your head around it? Because it can be hard even just to accept it. I had a lady who couldn't even say the word Parkinson's for about four years. You know, uh, for me, um, it was, an, uh, it's difficult maybe for people to understand, but for me, uh, it was almost a relief. Yeah. Um, my anxiety and mood issues were so intense and severe that uh I I just I couldn't have continued with the way it was and it was I don't know if everyone else who's had the similar sort of experience with anxiety is a non-motor feature of Parkinson's but um it was just so intense and so difficult but when I started the uh dopamine agonist when I started Requip it was almost like flicking a switch for me with my mood uh, and my anxiety and it disappeared and Mary will tell you like I was I was back to the person I had been 10 15 mm. years previously I just I, I felt alive again so for me the diagnosis of Parkinson's was almost a relief because I couldn't have continued the way I was it goes to show that Parkinson's is a very treatable condition so when we see people in our clinics I always try to be very positive about it because you know, it is very treatable and people live very well with Parkinson's. And my dad has Parkinson's now 50 something years. So he's lived well with it. It's been a nuisance. But, you know, there's great hope there and there's great um, backup and support from the healthcare professionals who have an expertise in it. And I always remember a patient who said to me that if you have a mini, you wouldn't go to a Renault garage, you'd go to a mini garage. And that's why people with Parkinson's need to be seen by the right people because we have the experience and we build up that experience, like, for instance, in anxiety issues in PD or sleep issues in PD. Um, you really need to see the right person to be able to get the problem dealt with. Mary, when Cormac was diagnosed, what sort of feelings or emotions went through your head? My reaction was very different to Cormac's in that he started on his medication and uh, experienced relief. And because he's a doctor, he understood the whole piece. Um, and I, for the first year, was just really, really, really angry, so cross yeah. over all the time. And I was even cross with Cormac. <laughs> I was just cross with everyone. Um, and um, I wasn't able to talk about it without bursting into tears. And a couple of times I tried to tell people and 
Um, I went through a period, I think, and I still sometimes get little flashes where I grieved, you know, for for our future wasn't. And um, I think, uh, again, just, you know, talking to friends, talking to people and going, actually, this is, you know, this is a normal reaction to, I mean, it's a very personal thing, but it's, you know, it's changed our world completely. Um, and now I'm starting to get my head around it. And, but I have to manage myself really carefully not to kind of catastrophize or run down roads and go, this is a disaster and what will happen in the future and this could happen and what will happen and will we, you know, this or that. But I suppose what, what I would say is that the one thing that Cormac and I have got out of this that I never thought I would get, I didn't expect, is gratitude. We're both so grateful that he's so well. And how about the two boys? How do they take it? Uh, we have two two boys, uh, Connor, aged 20, who's uh, studying medicine in Dublin, and Fergal, who's completing his secondary education this year. He's 17, and he hopes to do physiotherapy. And uh, like we, we told the boys, and we discussed it several times, uh, but Fergal said, uh, so what you're telling us, Dad, is you're just going to get older quicker. <laughs> <laughs> I think the fact, I mean, Cormac has just been... Since the diagnosis and since he got on his medicine, Cormac is the man I met, you know, 30 years ago. He's bouncy, he's cheerful. Okay, he gets periods of intense fatigue, like really, really tired. And he will have days that aren't great. But he's he's a great guy to be around and be with. And I think for the boys, the main thing that we emphasised is that nothing will change quickly, that things are things will change but you won't actually notice. So I suppose, Brian, I'm kind of curious for you, you know, because your dad had Parkinson's. What was that like for you growing up? How was he about it? Did he talk about it? Yeah, dad has always been very positive, but I was only 18 months when dad was diagnosed. So I don't know my dad any other way except having Parkinson's. And he's been so positive and, and lived with it really well. He was a typesetter and printer. And his sort of, he needed a lot of hand dexterity and. Uh, sitting down an awful lot of the day and that really didn't fit well with his Parkinson's as it got uh, older or as it as it progressed so he retired at the age of 55 and it was a huge influence I suppose for my nursing career and for my um, specialist area just I knew nothing else and when I did the Parkinson's nurse specialist course in the UK um, back in 2000 it was uh, I just Things were coming up on the slides and I was in God, yeah, that's very familiar. And everything was just so familiar because he had, I'd seen him go through every stage and having deep brain stimulation and going through all the medications and the falls. And, you know, as Parkinson's got older, I could see the different changes and um, yeah, so it was very natural to me. I just didn't know him any other way. Did you consciously at any stage sort of go, I'm going to work in the area of Parkinson's because of my father or because he didn't get sort of support in a way that you would have liked? Yeah. One of the big things was, it must have been around 1999, a nurse specialist, the first nurse, nurse specialist in Parkinson's in the UK came over to the Parkinson's Association of Ireland. Um, Rosemary McGuire was her name. And I just got chatting to her. And... There was no Parkinson's nurses over here at all. Uh, so that was a huge gap. So I just kind of made it a mission. Like it wasn't easy sort of 
um, going into the area because I had Parkinson's at home and I had Parkinson's at work. And that can be tough sometimes. Um, even now that dad, dad would, he's 75 and he's quite advanced. Um, so I get a call all the time, you know, from mom or from dad or from my sister or whatever, just troubleshooting, problem solving. So it can be stressful. You know, sometimes you just kind of want to break from it. And, um, but that's life. When I get a phone call from anyone in the family, I'm wondering, is this a medically related call or is it a, a social call? Yeah. And what are they, rarely social and more medical? <laughs> As we go on in age, yes. Yeah, I'm the same. And tell me, Brian, what about your mum? Did she tell you any stories about those early days or what it was like? I can't imagine. Oh, it was tough going. They were only married a short time. and But she's great, I have to say. She's so supportive. And they were 50 years married there in uh, March, 20th of March. So it was great that she stood by him and supported him so well. And that's been an influence for me, just seeing that. You, you do absorb these personality traits, I suppose, probably in the genes as well. But what you see at home is very much uh, how you are. And um, yeah, no, they, they've been fantastic. The other issues that we haven't mentioned is um, things like the motor aspects. If somebody has um, on-off fluctuations, say people who are on levodopa, they're cinnamon or matapar, which you're not on yet, which is great. Um, but they can switch off during the nighttime and they can't move in the bed and they can't turn. We turn naturally. We move around the bed several times. Whereas in Parkinson's, as it moves on in many years with the levodopa and you switch off, you can't move as good in the bed. You can't get in and out of bed. It's called the bed mobility. And that's what keeps them awake. They can't fall asleep because they can't get comfortable. And then there's urinary issues. If you're us men, when we get older, Cormac, we tend to go up to the loo several times a night. You know, prostate just play up. But we'd be up and out uh, using the toilet. That's another issue. People can get what we call a neurogenic bladder. The bladder gets a little bit more irritated. Um, and in Parkinson's, you might go up to the loo three, four times a night. Are you up to the loo at night at the moment? Well, it, it varies occasionally. Have you tried melatonin? I have. Now, I, I wasn't clear whether I should, I needed to be taking it every night for several nights or whether you can drop in and out with it. Yeah, well, melatonin is a naturally occurring enzyme or hormone, so we all need it, but with a top above it, it can really help and induce uh, the sleep. You should take it every night. And I often say to people about their sleep pattern, it doesn't change overnight. It needs about two to three weeks to change a sleep pattern. People tend to say, oh, I take a sleep tablet, but I only take it once or twice a week. If you're taking a sleep tablet, you take it every night until your sleep pattern rectifies and, and improves. Do you snore? Does he snore, Mary? Yes, he used to, but we, I can't say anything about snoring because I'll get in before he does and say I snore too. So we're, okay. well, we're well suited. But I don't think he snores as much as he used to. Breathing related problems are really underrecognized as well in Parkinson's, like sleep apnea. And that's where the formal sleep study can really benefit. If you have a formal sleep study with polysomnograph, that would be able to see the wood from the trees and tease out exactly what's going on, whether it's just REM or whether you have sleep apnea as well. It's a really big thing in terms of our relationship because so we're now kind of where we are in that Cormac wakes up with the sleeping tablet. So he has a slight hangover. And then he says to me, 
well, how did you sleep? And I go, well, like I, I know now the night because the nights when, you know, in a couple of nights we have slept in separate bedrooms. The first night I feel a bit better. The second morning, I feel even better still. By the third morning, I am bouncing. And it's because, and it takes two or three nights, and I've had two or three nights full night's sleep. But do people, what, what do people do? Because I don't want to end up in a separate bedroom. Yeah, it, it is very difficult. And, and what usually ends up is that the partner moves out into a separate bed or separate room, and that's not good for a relationship. What my mom and dad did, actually, um, and this was a Dutch influence because my mom's uh, sister was married to a Dutchman, they had a double bed made up of two single mattresses. And that's what worked for my mum and dad. Not that he had major um, REM sleep, but dad was up and about all the time during the night. And that's what tended to work because she wouldn't feel the vibration in her single mattress. So she had this issue as well then, did she? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. That problem was more so motor. Yeah. You know, I get a lot of involuntary movements as well. Little jumps and jerks, yeah. And they can be exaggerated in Parkinson's. They're normal. When, we, when we're falling asleep, we all kind of jump and jerk as we're falling off. But in Parkinson's, they can be a little bit more exaggerated, yeah. So, so one of the big aspects that um, I suppose we haven't talked about, and it's a really important thing for sleep, is sleep hygiene. And looking at the person's environment, um, is the room too hot, too cold? Is it too bright? Are the curtains not pulled? Noise factor. Is there a little nightlight on? Various different things like that. What you drink going to bed, whether it's alcohol, whether it's tea, coffee, when you drank it. All those things are really important aspects to be able to look and assess to be able to get to the nitty gritty of the problem. And what what are the guidelines then, Brian? What should, like we always in the evening, like we would have our dinner or evening meal and then... At about nine o'clock, we'll have a cup of tea and a biscuit and watch yeah. TV. So they say they say to take your day or your sleep-wake uh, cycle as a 24-hour cycle. So that includes timing your meals, that you don't eat a heavy meal two hours before going to bed or even four hours going to bed. Tea time is six o'clock and bedtime is 10. Um, that you have that structure and the routine there. Avoid the high caffeine drinks like teas and coffees after seven o'clock, um, eight o'clock max. And again, if you're prone to going up and out to the loo several times a day or several times a night, I should say, avoid drinks after seven o'clock as well. We can't miss a good Irish cup of tea before you go to bed, <laughs> surely. No, you can't. We can't deprive you. <laughs> but these are just good sleep hygiene things. And alcohol, again, is another thing that will keep you awake. And, and only go to bed when you're tired. That's really important as well. Because no point going into bed if you're not tired, looking at the ceiling, that's what will happen. And avoid having a TV in the room because you're just going to end up, you know, watching the TV and staying up late. And next of all, it's one o'clock in the morning. The bed is for sleeping. In terms of routine, you know, if you yeah. say if you're saying structure or routine about uh, going to bed at the same time and everything like that, but if you find you're not tired, how does that work? Right. So that's where the 24 hour cycle comes in. So during the day to get yourself tired, exercise, do something and avoid those naps. So the more busy you are during the daytime without napping, the more tired you will feel going to bed. And that's where the whole cycle comes into play. So it's the naps are the key thing there. Yeah, one nap, 20 minutes, 40 minutes max, early afternoon. 
and that cuts out all these little falling asleep. And if he is falling asleep, a little nudge and go for a walk, do something. Chase yeah. around the garden. <laughs> yeah. But it's those type of things that the routine of meals, drinks, naps, don't eat too sugary food, even um, cakes and things. Do you have a sweet tooth? Yep. <laughs> Speaking for myself so, here. So pl- plenty of sugar going to bed is going to keep you awake as well. So avoid those type of things. So you might as well join the priesthood and become a hermit. As if we haven't enough to do. <laughs> I think you should get a sleep study done. I don't know if there's a sleep expert in uh, Limerick. There is, there is yeah, there. I know him quite well. We know him reasonably well. Yeah, well, off you go. That would be a really good thing to do. Get a polysomnograph done. That's kind of the gold standard. And then maybe keep the diary the way Mary was keeping a diary. What time do you go to bed at? I would tend to go about 10-ish, half 10, and then Cormac says he's coming because it can shake. And... Yeah, generally 11, 12. Sometimes it's a bit later, but then half that's 12. because I don't feel sleepy. Yeah. And then sometimes he'll fall asleep and he'll be wake up at 2 or 3 on the sofa. Now, I know yeah. that, isn't, that isn't just pe- people with Parkinson's. That happens too. But I think the 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 thing that's made the huge difference for us is certainly for Mary is the is that realization that the the impact my sleep issues have had on yeah. her sleeping yeah. has been a, a a real sort of doink and penny dropping, and we now realize we've got to yeah. really look at it yes. and in detail yeah. and you know find solutions. And yeah. I think have you tried wearing earplugs, Mary? No. You know the ones you wear for underwater for swimming. Those are traveling on a plane. Or those little spongy foam ear earplugs. They may help. Cut down the noise for you. Body armor and a helmet. Body armor, yeah. A hurling uh, helmet, yeah. I, I suppose for me, I'm now because the lack of sleep over a number of years has actually started to undermine my mood and my well-being. I've now nearly had to say, no, actually, I need a good night's sleep. I said, I'm not sleeping well. I need a good night's sleep. So I'm kind of demanding a bit more. Airtime, if you like, as opposed to saying, oh, no, well, I don't, I don't, you know, that real Irish thing. Oh, no, sure, I'm grand. I'm a bit tired, like, but I'll be grand, like. And how about you having a nap then in the day? Funny you should say that. Funny you should say that. Um, one of the things that I've started doing is going back to my mindfulness practice and at work, I go out to the car. And today I went out to the car and I put the seat back and closed my eyes for two yeah. minutes, you know, well, for 20 minutes. So, so I have actually started doing that. Yeah. The other thing I forgot to mention, um, you can't beat a good, comfortable pillow and a good, comfortable mattress. Yes. That's not too soft or not too hard. It must be a sign of being middle-aged, but it's like taking an interest in the garden and investing in a good mattress <laughs> once we became middle-aged, which was only recently. Oh, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure meeting you both and talking to you both. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Oh, it's been fantastic. No, and in post-COVID times or when we're allowed to travel, we'll... We'll meet up for a Guinness or a whiskey or... No, it's lovely meeting you, Brian. Lovely meeting you and hearing about your parents and stuff. So thank you. Yeah, you too. You too. Parkinson's Life magazine is produced by Speak Media on behalf of the European Parkinson's Disease Association the leading voice for Parkinson's in Europe. For the latest research and information on how to improve your sleep with Parkinson's, visit epda.eu.com slash sleepwell. Thanks for listening to the Parkinson's Life podcast. 
If you like what you've heard, please rate and review. It helps make sure others can find us. Keep a lookout for our next episode this summer. And until then, take care. Take care.